and welcome to the Sleep Mums A to Z's, our upside down journey through the ABCs of parenthood from crotch fruit to sharenting, with potentially a few swears along the way. Sorry, mum. I'm Kat Cubie, broadcaster, podcaster and oversharer, and this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert. Is that you? Morning. Professional. <laughs> <laughs> Together, we are the Sleep Mums. This week, we're doing the D. Not the deed. I mean, we're close, but we're not that close. We're looking at the letter D for development. After your baby is born, their mind grows almost as exponentially as your laundry pile. The first year of life is a blur of counting weeks, not months, doctor's visits and developmental milestones. So here to talk us through them is Dr. Neve Lynch, a paediatric neurologist and in the interest of full disclosure, my (laughs) sister-in-law. Aside from being super smart and having the most lovely cork tones, Neve also helped me through a number of anxious calls when my kids were small. She's making a name as a go-to paediatric doc in Ireland and she also has an excellently dry sense of humour. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I've given you a wee intro there and done the full confessional, but uh, tell us a wee bit more about you. Well, I'm married to your brother. (laughs) I think you know that already. (laughs) Poor you. (laughs) Uh, and I have, uh, we have two kids, um, Eva and Elsie, and they're a little bit older than yours, obviously. Um, Eva's now 13 and Elsie's 11. Both of them were terrible sleepers, I have to confess. So maybe it's a QB thing, Cash. Maybe I can blame the QB genes. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But, uh, you know, it's funny, like that those first sort of three or four years seem very difficult when you're going through them. And then afterwards, you look back and you kind of go, it's weird you just forget them you know um but looking back and and meeting parents who are in a similar situation now I have to feel the utmost empathy for them um what else do you need to know about myself um I suppose in my professional world I'm a pediatric neurologist and in my uh private world I'm an amateur farmer with 13 chickens and many many animals and that's about as interesting (laughs) interesting as my life is at the moment you know they say never work with children or animals and you do both yeah I do both yeah 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 wouldn't have it any other way I called you many many a time when the kids were were we um but also you know you are talking a lot on social media recently about sharing that knowledge I think because you recognized a wee bit like we wanted to do sleep mums um you know what a tough year this has been for folk to have not just have a baby but to have a child because the support has been so different yeah you know I think if if this year year and a bit has done anything it's sort of driven home uh this the fragility of how we look after our children um you know that sort of extended network of people that we call on to help uh, especially our own parents grandparents that sort of evaporated um and I think it left a lot of mums especially but dads as well feeling a little bit exposed and vulnerable and you know when you feel vulnerable and anxious yourself and your children are going to pick up on that as well you know there just seemed to be a little bit of extra colic a bit of extra irritability extra difficulty with feeding and also sleep of course developmental milestones are a wee bit like rolling over babbling crawling and even sleeping and they're all things that parents look for in baby's first year 
but it can also, like we've been talking about in other ways, it can also be a source of stress and anxiety. Yeah. There's quite a lot of keeping up with the Joneses and the folk in your phonesies, if you know what I mean. So why do we have these regular developmental checks? Uh, so the reason we have regular developmental checks is because there's a range of development for all babies. So, you know, you'll have some babies who are sitting up and practically crawling at six months. And then you'll have others who are a little bit more laid back who mightn't do the same thing till about nine months. So there's a window where certain developed milestones should be attained. But not every baby is going to reach those milestones at the same time. So. When you have your, I, I think your developmental schedule is slightly different to ours, if I'm correct. The UK is uh, six to eight weeks. And in Ireland, I think it's three months. And then our next one is nine to 12 months, but yours is nine to 11 yeah. months. Yeah. So that that one's kind of more similar. And then our our third one is two years and yours is 18 to 24 months. So they're, yeah. I mean, they are yeah. fairly similar. It's just that first one that's yeah. a wee bit different, actually. Yeah. And the first one, uh, so the first one, the formal developmental check that we have at three months is preceded by a GP check at six right, weeks. Right, okay. So, um, so there is a six-week check as well. Now, the six-week check is very good at picking up the sort of the big stuff so by six weeks um the baby obviously should be thriving and should be gaining weight um they should be fixing and following so looking at things and following them with their eyes and they should have a degree of head control so what I would look for in a six-week check in a baby is you know obviously half the time when they come in they're asleep but when you wake them up you know are they looking around the room are they looking particularly at their mom or dad are they smiling um and what's their head what do they feel like when I pick them up so uh they should feel sort of sturdy and when you hold them under the underneath you know in their are underneath their arms their armpits they should feel like they're they're solidly sort of stuck in there and not feel like they're going to slip through your arms um and then their head control should be good and they shouldn't have any what we call head lag um and you know if they have head lag and poor tone um then that's a sign maybe that that there may be developmental issues to come and that that child will need to be watched a little bit more closely. Can you take us through the main developmental milestones from a medical perspective? Yeah, so if you're assessing a child uh, sort of from a a developmental point of view, um, you divide it into four main areas. So you have gross motor, Mm -hmm. which is the big stuff. So it starts with head control and it goes on then to trunk control so and that means the ability to roll over uh ultimately the ability to crawl and then to get up on their feet and walk so that's your gross motor development mm-hmm. uh your fine motor development then is very much also linked to your vision because you have to be able to to see to do a lot of these things so fine motor starts with the baby looking at their own hands uh and being sort of fascinated by them uh, and then as their eyesight improves and their perception of color and, and depth per- improves, they'll start to swipe at things. So if you have a little baby gym, they'll start to, mm-hmm. to bat mm-hmm. at the little toys. Um, they'll start to then bring their hands into the midline, so into the middle and then into their mouths. Um, and then as they get older, they start to reach for things, pick them up, transferring, which is putting from one hand to another. 
And then ultimately, when your back is turned one day, they'll swipe your cup of tea <laughs> and spill it all over themselves. And then your credit card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's your your fine motor. And by the age of one, they should have what we call a pincer grasp, which is where they should be able to pick up a little object like a raisin with their index finger and their thumb. That's the pincer grasp. So that's the sort of pinnacle of fine motor in, in babies. So you, that's your gross motor, your fine motor. Then you have your speech and language. Um, so that starts with the cooing and the, you know, the interacting that you have that starts at around the age of four weeks. They start to sort of make noises. That becomes, you know, more syllables and then words. Um, and in terms of understanding, we would like that a baby could understand. The first thing that they understand is their name. So they should be responding and turning their head to their name by the age of six months. So that's your, your speech and your language. And that obviously develops in complexity really when they're over the age of one. Um, and then the final one then is social and behavioral. So um, that is, you know, really that comes in big time when they're about nine months where they develop stranger anxiety. But I'm seeing that obviously lockdown babies are scared of everything. Um, so lockdown babies have stranger anxiety from an, an earlier age just because it's so overwhelming for them when they come mm -hmm. out of the home. Um, yeah. So that's your strange anxiety. And then as the social and behavioral goes on then to, you know, um, socializing, friendship, expressing affection, uh, making friends and all of that as they get older. So those are your four areas, basically. Now, I mean, obviously, we have these developmental checks at specific times. And I know they're broad in that they can fall in a few weeks. And really, you know, as an established, like as a professional, you are looking for specific things and that you have a kind of a range of of where baby is. But we we all do develop at different stages. That's really, I guess, why it can be quite stressful for parents because they sort of think, oh, they should be doing this, this and this by this age. But yeah. that's not always the case. Yeah. And when you assess a child, you take it as a whole, you know. So, you know, let's say let's say if I saw um, an 18 month old baby who wasn't walking yet, but was speaking and pointing and had and was a bottom shuffler. So bottom shufflers are always slower to walk. So, you know, I wouldn't be sort of pressing the big red alarm button if I met a baby like that because he, he'd he be developing appropriately in all the other areas. So with a baby like that, I would say, let's have a look back in about two months time and see what's happening, you know, to, you know, not to sort of scare the parents go, oh, my God, he's not walking. This is terrible. You know, so you take the big picture. So, you know, that's what, that's why when we do developmental assessment, we look at all four areas of development. Now, obviously, if a child is delayed across the board in all areas, that's when you start to get concerned. Um, but I would really encourage parents um, not to get too worried if there's one little area that they're maybe not quite hitting the mark because they'll probably catch up or they will catch up. And, and and possibly exceed at a later stage in life. So I wouldn't worry about just one small area of development. I think that's a big thing, isn't it, with the sort of parent groups and, um, you know, mummy networks. It's so easy for everybody to compare and it will be that sort of panicked call that we get of saying, you know, my baby's not rolling over, but all six of my other antenatal friends are and it is they're all just taking that one thing and they're not actually looking at the picture as a whole it's just that one thing that yeah it feels like everyone else is doing and it does send them into a spin and it causes these poor parents a huge amount of anxiety because of the yeah. comparisons so forget about everybody else <laughs> you know the, the 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 most the oracle in every family is the granny 
right? <laughs> because the granny knows what you did. And the mother-in-law or the partner's mother knows what he did. And they are the only parameters that you need to compare your child to. What was I doing at that age? And what was the dad doing at that age? That, those are the really important markers. Everybody else, it doesn't matter. That's really interesting. That's a really good way of looking at it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. M- me, Doug, your husband, <laughs> and my sister all walked around one, which is what both my kids did as well. Like, yeah. you know, I'd never thought of it in quite the way you're describing about it being, yes, okay, we are looking for these all these areas. But, you know, if you're excelling in one, then that means that the other one's maybe taking a bit of a back seat just for just now. And I think that's such a helpful thing to share with parents, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can't all be brilliant at everything all the time. That applies to babies too. <laughs> Can we just do a super quick run through of, so at in, in Ireland it's three months, but for us it's maybe a bit earlier. But so what are the gross motor skills, fine motor, hearing and speech and social you're looking at, at sort of the, the three main checks? Okay, so so let's just say three months because that's probably, you know, by three months, okay? So at a minimum, by three months, right? You would expect a baby to have, good head control so that's the gross motor so you don't you would expect that you wouldn't have to support baby's head when you're you know picking her up um that she would have good head control be able to pop it up and have a look around if you're breastfeeding she'd pop the head off the boob and have a look around same with the bottle um so that's the gross motor side of things um and when you place them on their tummy they should be able to lift their head up off uh, the mattress or the the blanket or whatever you've placed them on. Um, So that's gross motor. Um, Fine motor and vision, they should be looking at their hands. They should be bringing their hands to the midline and some of them will be bringing their hands to their mouth and some of them will be batting out at things. And they should also, taking vision into account as well, they should be focusing on you and following you as you move around the room. Um, and they'll have more of an interest in faces than in things at that age. So that's three months fine motor and vision. Um, language wise, you would expect them to be cooing and babbling a little bit by three months. You certainly wouldn't expect complete silence. Um, and for social and behavioral, really, it's just recognizing voices at that stage. So they'll definitely respond and react to familiar voices. So they'll react uh, to mum and dad and they'll recognize their voices so that's your three months uh what's the next one you want to do then well I guess nine to twelve months roughly yeah. so yeah so huge changes obviously between three months and nine months that's a long time in the life of a child so um by nine months in terms of gross motor you would expect that your child would be able to sit unsupported uh, so if you sit them down on the ground, you, you'd happily leave them sitting there and you wouldn't expect them to face plant uh, onto the floor. So they should be sitting unsupported. Uh, when you lie them on their back, they should be able to roll from front over to back and back over to front. So by nine months, they should be rolling. Um, by nine months, uh, quite a few kids are crawling, but not all. And obviously some some children never crawl. So that's your gross motor. Some kids then are, are whizzing around. So like my second child, Elsie, was almost walking by the time she was nine months. Um, and that makes her a bit of an outlier in the family, to be fair. Um, yeah. But, you know, other kids are, you know, you're just happy that they're sitting. So, again, there's a big window in terms of their development there from a gross motor point of view. 
Um, but at a minimum, they should be sitting and they should be rolling. Um, from a fine motor point of view, between nine and 12 months, um, they're able to reach out for, they're actually able to spot really, really small things. I don't know if you've noticed, but they seem to have an eye for like a paperclip, you know, and that'll be in their mouth. Um, so they can see small things and they can pick them up and they can they can get them to their mouths. So yeah, obviously this is the age where you have to be really careful because they're starting to be mobile. For some weird reason, most people keep their most dangerous products, which is their cleaning products, in the bottom cupboard in the kitchen. <laughs> um, this is the age where they can get into things and get things into their mouth and get into serious trouble. So you need to be careful with your baby proofing around this age. Um, so from a fine motor and vision, they have they have what we call um, a raking grasp. So they'll they'll use their little fingers like a rake and they'll close their fingers around the object and then almost inevitably they will bring it to their mouth. Um, and by nine months, they should be moving things from one hand to another. So if you give them their rattle, they should be able to put it from one one hand into the other. So that's fine motor. Um, from in terms of speech and language, they should understand their names uh, by the time they're nine months old. They should know. Now, I caveat that with some parents have about 58 different names for their children. So, you know, they're like pudding and darling and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and you know, then they're coming to me panicked that their child doesn't know their name. And I'm saying, well, what do you call them? And then they give me this list and I'm like, just pick one name, please. <laughs> you know, like, how are they supposed to know their name if they have 58 yeah. names? So <laughs> it's important to remember that. <laughs> you know, it's the sweetums and the didums and the petals and the, all of that crack. Like, just pick one, right? <laughs> so um, so they should know their name. Um, they should have some syllables as well. So, you know, ba, 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 da, 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 that kind of thing. That's always, it's really unfair. Like, dada always comes before mama. And that's just the way of the world. That's the way their mouths work. Um, it feels very unjust when you've put in like, you know, all the heavy lifting and then they come out with dada. It's, it's a developmental thing. <laughs> it's just a sound. Yeah. It has no meaning. <laughs> so, um, so but then by about the age of one, you would expect then that they will have words that actually have meaning. So they'll probably try and say their own name. They'll probably try and say the name of a sibling and they'll have names for like their, their soother, uh, their bottle, things like that as well. Um, so that's your your speech and language. And in terms of understanding, generally, it's, uh, you know, they'll understand, you know, if you say, where's your bottle? They might understand that. Um, or if you say, where's daddy? Or, you know, things like that, that they'll look around and, and seem to understand what you've said to them. Um, the other thing then will be the social and behavioral. So by around nine months, uh, they will have developed a bit of stranger anxiety. So whereas before, you know, if your own parents or your sister or whatever came to the house for a visit, they'd happily go and sit on their lap. There's a bit of hesitancy there, really, unless they're seeing them very, very regularly. Um, and the other problem is, at, certainly in Ireland, at around nine months, that's pretty much exactly the age where we, we put them into um nursery and of course it's disastrous you know so exactly that's what I was about to say it's so hard on the parents and it's so hard on the kid because that it's just like the worst timing ever like friends who you know put their children into nursery at a younger stage and had no yeah. problems at all basically yeah. Yeah. So I, I would often say if you're going to go with the nursery thing, uh, you know, do it at around six or seven months before they have developed that strange anxiety so that the people that are working in those settings will be familiar to them. Mm -hmm. So that's the nine to 12 months. And the next one then would be about two, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So by two, um, 
you would they, they should be walking. So if we're talking about if we're going back to our gross motor, like a two year old should be walking. If a two year old, like we would consider an, a non walking two year old to have some sort of issue. Really, they should be walking by the age of two. Um, so that's a gross motor. Like you know, they should be able to walk. They should be able to climb. Um, so they should be able to climb from the ground up onto a sofa or depending on how adventurous they are, you know, higher things. And then, of course, <laughs> fall as well. Got one but, of those. Yeah. So, again, the baby proofing side of things is very important to that age. Um, they, some two year olds might be able to run as well, um, but they're pretty clumsy runners. Um, but they will try. Uh, and that's about it, really, from the gross motor. But like, really, we want to see them on their feet and walking and walking steadily by the age of two. Um, fine motor wise um, they will scribble all over the walls um, <laughs> so you know uh, that's you know they can they can actually grab a crayon and scribble so they love to do that so that's the fine motor side of things don't expect them to draw circles read or anything like that at the age of two um, scribbles is about as good as it's going to get um, and always of course you're going to have your range and your prodigious child who can you know do lots and lots of things at the age of two in terms of art and stuff like that. But don't stress about that. If they can hold a crayon and scribble, that's just fine. Um, and they should be able to feed themselves by the time they're two as well. So I know certainly the sort of second and third children uh, lose out a little bit there because everybody's so rushed that it's probably easier just to feed them yourself. Um, but mm -hmm. it's important to let them develop that skill and that autonomy. Um, so that's the fine motor side of things, is it? Uh, yeah, and vision. Obviously, they should have very good vision at that stage, you know. Um, now, all along, usually the public health nurse will check for a squint as well. Um, so it's very important not to miss a squint. Uh, so, you know, if you think your child has a squint, make sure you get it checked out, even if the sort of public health checks aren't going on at the moment. Um, in terms of... Uh, speech and language um, you'd expect them to have about a hundred words and uh, you'd expect them to be able to put one a couple of words together like you know uh, I want more would be one or I know like was the one that we had in our house um, I don't know if you know this but <laughs> I, I, Roar is like s sort of some sort of Lawrence Llewellyn Bone-esque interior designer because what he said or what he used to say was I don't love it. <laughs> All right. I like it, but I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just thought I know like, but um, so that's the speech and language. Understanding they should they should know their body parts by the age of two. So they should know, you know, where's, you know, where's your head? Where's your nose? Where's your toes? Where's your tummy? They should know all of those kind of things. Um, and they should understand simple commands. So, you know, can you go and get your shoes for me or can you put this over there? Things like that. Um, they should be able to point at things as well um, rather than, you know, bringing you over. They should have good nonverbal communication. So they should be able to point at something to indicate that they want it. And then social and behavioral at the age of two. Um, they are still fairly wary. Um, obviously, there's the sort of the reputation of the terrible twos. I, I don't think twos are that terrible. I think threes are much worse, actually. But yeah, um, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. So with the twos, though, they are learning how to say no. Um, and there will be a lot of no. Uh, but and they are still quite wary of people that they don't know. And if you put them in a situation with other children, 
they'll play in parallel with them um, as opposed to playing with them and using their imagination and playing imaginatively. But they are capable of imaginative play in that if you sort of, you know, give them a doll to look after, they will pretend to feed the doll and brush the doll's hair and stuff like that. So they're capable of some imaginative play, but not the kind that engages other children. Um, so that's really your social and behavioural at that age. Can you talk us through the main developmental milestones and how they connect to sleep? Well, yeah, they do and they don't. Like sleep is essential for learning. Um, So everything that a child learns during the day is consolidated Mm -hmm. in sleep. Um, And so a tired child is is less well able to learn and everything that they're doing as they develop is to do with learning. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens in sleep is that um, certain hormones are released, so um, growth hormone in particular. And um, obviously the brain is at a crucial phase of development between the ages of zero and two. And in fact, the energy requirements of the the brain are greater than 50% uh, of the body's total energy requirements in this age group. So it's really important that they're well nourished and well rested so that the brain can get all of the energy that it needs in order to learn and consolidate what it has learned. So yeah, sleep is essential really. I mean, a poorly sleeping child um, at the age of two, there's multiple sort of problems that go along with that, if you like. So um, they're noted to have a poorer attention span. Um, they're noted to have less patience and ability to apply themselves to tasks. And then the other thing is that very often at the age of two, um, when they're really at an age where they need to be learning from their parents, if the parents are exhausted as well, that kind of sort of parent to child interaction is impeded as well because the parents are so tired, you know. Um, So, yeah, sleep is definitely important. Um, And, you know, you'd really want by the age of two, you'd want a child to be in a regular sort of sleep pattern, you know, sleeping through the night and um, getting, you know, getting all the sleep that they need. Sarah and I just done a podcast talking about, um, you know, how often the big milestones, some of which we've been talking about, whether it's, you know, crawling or um, walking or when you go about weaning, often end up uh, disrupting sleep because just as you're saying, you're processing all of that overnight and how you deal with it is so important because quite often you can end up you know, really struggling with sleep, both as a parent when you're trying to deal with these big changes, yeah. but also baby can. And so it, it can be really, really, really hard when you're going through those things. Yeah. Well, like we we had um we had sleep cracked with Eva, like, you know, by the time she was nine months old, we thought we did. <laughs> That's not a karma. The minute you think you have it cracked. <laughs> but she learned how to pull herself up to stand in the cot mm-hmm. and she became obsessed with doing this, you know, so every time we laid her down to sleep, she would pull herself up, you know, and she was so proud of herself. But this would go on till like one or two o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's just like it was just impossible to sort of crack her enthusiasm for it because she was so chuffed. It was it was awful. Like it was one of the, like it was about a month before we actually got back to any sort of normality, like, you know. So, yeah. It yeah. does show the grit of personality, though, of like, I will yeah. do this. I will perfect this. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a QB thing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. So anyway, so that's 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 our sleep history. Well, it's pretty pretty checkered. But yeah, definitely that these milestones can affect sleep, and it, it, you know it's just something to to bear in mind. It's it's a two way street. So sleep can affect the milestones, and the milestones can affect sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the start, these milestones can be a big source of anxiety for parents because we all want to be reassured that our kid is developing as we think they should. But as we've talked a wee bit about in terms of sleep, we often say that it's not a definitive calendar. Each baby is unique and they will reach different milestones at different times and in different orders. So that's all well and good. But what should you do if you feel that your baby isn't meeting their milestones? Okay, so... First of all, don't panic. Um, I think one of the, you know, Google and all of the other sort of search engines have been great in so many ways, but you're only ever two clicks away from catastrophe on Google. Um, So try not to go down those rabbit holes um, because you'll have your child diagnosed with, you know, a rare... um, horrible syndrome before you ever get in the door of the doctors mm-hmm. you know if you if you use that as your sole kind of source of, of um, information so the first thing I would recommend doing if your baby is not meeting the milestones is again talk talk to the grannies you know um, and ask them you know what did I do at this age or what did dad do at that age um, and see if there you know if there's a pattern there um, that's for the sort of the minor worries. Like, so the, the two biggest worries that I get asked about are they're not walking or they're not talking. Those are the two big um, concerns when I'm asked to see a child. And, and they're often the ones with the biggest variances yeah. in age as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. So very often, like I said, if I see an 18-month-old who's not yet walking, but who's happily bottom shuffling around the place and flying through all their other developmental milestones, I'll, I'll say just let's give this a bit of time and we can investigate it later if things haven't improved. Um, so, but what I would say is like, you know, trust trust your gut to a degree, but don't let your anxiety run away with the situation either um it's really difficult at the moment if you want to see a doctor because i don't know what it's like over in scotland but doctors aren't actually physically seeing yeah Mm -hmm. so they're not seeing kids and it's very hard to explain over Mm -hmm. the phone um what your concerns are um but what i would say is like if you are making a phone call to a doctor um break it down for them into the gross motor fine and fine motor at the very least and say look these are my areas of concern so that you can present it to the doctor in a way that they can say oh okay yeah they're you know they're six months and they're still not bringing their hands to their mouth that's clearly a problem do you know what I mean and then that can allow sort of an onward referral um the same then with the sort of um you know, feeding, sleeping, all of that kind of stuff. I think the best thing to do is rather than turn to the internet, really try and 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 speak to your GP or your public health nurse as a source of information. Um, and then if you're still not happy with your child and their development, um, the next thing then is to ask for a referral to a paediatrician um, and to explore your concerns with them uh, and explore the concerns with the baby in the room so that that whoever's assessing them can actually see, okay, this is what they're worried about. And this is, you know, this is what they wanted to talk about. Um, rather than relying on social media or support groups or um, Dr. Google for your, for your information. 
Totally. I think it is, um, as you say, really hard because um, you, you can, there is so much information out there and it can be really hard to sift the, the good from the bad or the, the, the real from the, the myth, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah. But also I think what you're saying too is super important to, to think of it as, um, you know, across the board that you're looking for things and that, you know, perhaps there might be something that you feel like your baby's not doing when other babies are, but they might be excelling in a different area. So to to try and not worry too much. Um, uh, but if you are at that point, rather than self-diagnosing, you always need to go and see see a, a healthcare professional. And I think like we, we're going to do an episode on this um, in the future as well, but that's really true for things like allergies and stuff as well, I think, because I think a lot of people... Um, can self-diagnose that as well yeah and you know if you self-diagnose an allergy then you're putting your child on a restricted diet potentially for life yeah. uh without definitive proof um i think it's really important that those kind of things are are properly assessed in a medical setting you know absolutely and i think you know it's worth mentioning because we have touched on it a number of times how difficult things have been over the last wee while that parents will be feeling anxious about you know going into a medical setting if they don't need to um and and that's probably putting people off but you know as you say there are you can speak to people on the phone you can do kind of you can do these kind of zoom calls and it's important that if you you know yeah like I think intuition is a really important part of it whilst we're saying yeah. don't self-diagnose yeah. you, as a parent you know your child mm -hmm. the best out of everyone and so if you have concerns then you should follow them up yeah I think as well Kat like preparation for those kind of appointments mm -hmm. is really key so uh, if you're doing a phone consultation with your GP or a pediatrician you know of, of course you're bringing all your worries to the table you know and like when you meet in person um, it's a lot easier, say, for me to sit down with a parent and sort of let them get everything off their chest and sort of, you know, and then relax and then move on to the, yeah. the issue at hand. Um, currently, uh, obviously, the medical professionals are under huge pressure from from other sources and they don't they don't have the it's very hard to get that sort of empathy and relationship and chemistry uh, on a on a phone call. And so a phone call is very, it's yeah. very clinical, you know, it's very much a transaction mm -hmm. of information. And, you know, if you're on the phone to your doctor and you're saying, oh, I've been so worried about this and I'm so annoyed because nobody's been listening to me and so on and so forth. That's actually not going to get you. It's going to use up your time and it's not going to get you where you want to go, which is to get the right information and diagnosis for your child. So your best way to approach a phone call like that, if that's what it's going to be, is to write down your concerns and if you have a developmental concern you write it down in terms of gross motor fine motor social behavioral speech and language and you have those categories and you say I want to talk to you about this 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 and this then that doctor is going to sit up and listen and say hang on a second this mom is clearly really worried you know she's gone to the trouble of sitting down and categorizing her worries um so that she can convey them to me yeah. you know um and so being being organized uh, about your appointment is is the best thing that you can do for your child at the moment. I wouldn't normally give that advice, but I think in pandemic times when doctors are being pulled in all directions, um, sometimes we need kind of a laser beam to focus us back uh, to you know to this issue and 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 for the mum or dad to convey the urgency 
then just a list of concerns is probably the best way to do it, you know. I actually think that's quite good advice for going to see the doctor at any stage, having gone through some guidey stuff myself recently. Yeah. I have a bit of a tendency to get into the room and be like, no, I'm fine. Like, and, and forget all the things that I meant to, that I've wanted to talk about. And since I've been taking notes myself and going with them and saying, this is what I'm worried about. This is what it's, it's been so much better because actually you can look back at that and go, okay, uh, th- this has really happened in this way rather yeah. than feeling that um, you might be making it up or something which is daft of course but you can't you know yeah it gives you a bit of sense of a control as well if you have a list um, you know that you say right these are the questions I want to ask uh, these are the answers that I want and and if the doctor can't answer them or the nurse or whatever then they say okay well I'll ask somebody else you never say oh I don't know <laughs> do you know what I mean we don't do that um, but we'll say oh, I'll find out for you you know yeah so exactly. having a list is a good idea but especially in these times because um, just people are being pulled in so many different directions at the moment <laughs> How and when a baby develops an ability depends on loads of different factors, just like with sleep, that don't always follow an exact path, let alone one that everyone will go the same way along. Plus, sometimes you can go one step forward, literally, and two steps back. The developmental checks are over a period of time to represent the approximate age that most babies will develop certain things. But I think it's so important to make sure you know that it is not a definitive thing. Walking is such a good example, as we've talked about. My son walked 11 months, but my friend's daughter didn't walk until 18 months. My son is no more advanced than this wee girl is not. In fact, she is an extremely smart kid. There are loads of products that sell to you that they will help advance your baby, but kids have an amazing knack of doing things at their own pace. We can help and support them to reach milestones. In fact, that's kind of our job as parents, but try not to worry if it's not the same as your pal's kids. Thank you so much to Nia for her expertise, knowledge and delicious accent. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, there are loads more great episodes on our Sleep Mums A to Z's. And if you're looking for specific sleep help, there's loads of that on our feed too. We'd be beyond delighted if you subscribed, wrote us a review and came and said hello over on social. We're at The Sleep Mums on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find Nia over there as well, Dr. Nia Flinch. All right, talk to you later. Nice to meet you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening and sleep soon. <laughs>